What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And I think I say that almost every Sunday because it is. It is my joy to be able to stand in the house of the Lord and and to join with you, those that are worshiping online or are going to be watching this this afternoon. I just want to just say that Jesus loves you and we love you. Your church loves you. We're just so glad that you're a part of our worship experience this morning. And uh, I kind of enjoyed Pastor Paul giving the announcements today. I don't know. He, he's, he's kind of a funny guy. And uh, I, I just love that. And our worship team, you know, I just want to give the worship team and our band a nod. Uh, they've been working and practicing hard. And the 7-Up the team, the 7-Up ministry, uh, they've, you know, assembled a team to make this thing happen. And, of course, our tech people. And so I just want to make sure that I take time to appreciate everybody and all the work that's been done. And so we just appreciate them. Amen. Don't you guys agree? Amen. And uh, so it's just good to have everybody here worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I, I think Paul alluded to to the the title of my message, uh, which is Christmas in July. And the reason why that's the title is because I'm really going to kind of a Christmas text. It's really just after Christmas. And it's where the wise men, they had been warmed in a dream not to, you know, return back from the the, the way that they had come. And that they'd take a different path home and not tell Herod, of course, where the baby Jesus was. You remember that. And then we drop into the text in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. So if you have the word of God, I want to invite you to turn uh, with me there. To Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verse 13. Take a moment, look that up there on your phone or your iPad, or maybe you bought the Bible with you. Uh, That would be great. And so, uh, just invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 2 and looking at verse 13. And, uh, and we just begin to read there. It's, it's short and uh, simple, but just listen as we read God's word. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and to destroy him. Precious Father in heaven, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you, Father, for, Lord, the revelation of truth. And it seems like every time we look at your word, Father, no matter what text it is, whether it's a, a Christmas text or an Easter text or, or uh, you know, in the middle of the year text, Father, it seems like that, that you speak and, and, and that we can learn from the word every time we read it together. And so, Father, I just thank you for this reading. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear your voice, Lord, in the midst of this world and all the crazy things that are going on. And so, Father in heaven, we just come And we just want to take time to rest in your holy presence. We want to take time to just really, Lord, just sit at your feet and to listen to what you have to say. And so, Father, I just pray that you would speak this morning, that you would anoint this hour and this time that we're spending together. So, Father, bless this word, bless the reading of the word. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Now, obviously, open with a pretty horrific part of history. In fact, there's some that would call this, you know, the slaughter of the innocents. Um, Jesus had been born, obviously, and Joseph receives a message from the angel that he's to take his little family and they are to flee or they to be, become refugees, really, as a sort, which kind of reframes that concept. But but this is because what happens is the very thing that Joseph you know, feared would happen, which was this pogrom, which is P-O-G-R-O-M. A pogrom had been issued by King Herod, who's the head of Judea at that time. And, and a pogrom is an organized massacre of a particular ethnic group. And, of course, here it was babies at two years of age and less or under. 
So the instigator, there's no question as we begin to read the text and look at the full narrative of the story that's happening here, uh, that the instigator of the massacre was King Herod. I mean, talk about a guy. Some described him as as the brilliant, paranoid madman who ruled Judea. I mean, he lived convinced that people were out to get him. In fact, they were out to get him because he was kind of a pretty horrific guy. He had killed, strangled literally his own beautiful wife. He had killed his, his two handsome sons. He had, he had killed his, his wife's mother and his wife's brother. I mean, when we think about King Herod, I mean, it was a pretty bleak picture that was unfolding right then. And in fact, there's this parallel story that we see in a very similar kind of action in Exodus chapter 1 around verse 15 and 22 where we read uh, where Pharaoh orders the midwives to murder, you know, the male Hebrew babies. And so, you know, out of that launches the story and the narrative of Moses, which, of course, you remember Moses being the baby in the basket there placed in the River Nile. And then we know the story as it unfolds that he becomes the savior of God's people, leading them out of Egyptian captivity, which is interesting because that's the exact direction, the opposite direction that Joseph and Mary are fleeing to as they are fleeing, of course, for their safety and and we see that here and and so out out of this rises this 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 parallel narrative and of course Moses being fully man but ordained by God anointed by God to lead God's people out of Egyptian captivity and yet Jesus the parallel figure there or in this story the Christmas story you know Jesus is the God man that Jesus is is fully man, born of a virgin, but yet he is also fully God. And we understand that. I mean, that's the highlight of the whole narrative. The meta story of the entire word of God is about Jesus. And so every message should get back to that, right? That it's about Jesus. But what I want to pay particular attention to this morning is a character that's obviously in this passage here. And that is Joseph. I mean, Joseph for me here is the person of interest. I mean, he knew that Jesus' life was in danger, right? And, and of course, what, you know, maybe there was some tangible evidence. Maybe he had been hearing some rumors or rumblings about the fact that Herod was going to do what he did. But then it's confirmed, of course, by the appearance of the angel. And so what does Joseph do? He grabs his little family. They flee to Egypt. And, you know, confirming, you know, everything that he probably thought was going to happen does happen. And so the focus in, as we focus on Joseph, is this, listen to this, is that Joseph was obedient to God. I mean, if there's a topical sentence, that's it, that Joseph was obedient to God. Now, listen to this obedience. And this is a big deal. Obedience acknowledges the sovereignty of God. That's why that's such a big deal, because obedience acknowledges the sovereignty of God. Just think about that. I like the way that this one guy kind of words it. His name is Thomas Burton, and he, and he writes this. Here's a quote from him. He says, in all his acts, God orders all things, whether good or evil, for the good of those who know him and seek him and who strive to bring their own freedom under obedience to his divine purpose. Think of that, this idea of bringing, you know, their own freedom or bringing our own freedom under the divine purpose and plan of God or what God wants or God intends saying here's what it said that obedience you see trust that God really loves us it, it trust that God really loves us and and it's God's interest that's in our best interest it's, it's God's interest that is going to trump everything else I love the way that Charles Stanley says it, and he's so simple and, and articulate and here's how Charlie, Charles Stanley says he says obey God 
and leave the consequences to him. Right? Obey God. I mean, that's simple. Obey God and, and leave the consequences to him. One writer, I mean, just bearing down on this idea of obedience. One writer asks, are you being obedient or are you just martyring yourself for another good cause? And that kind of maybe strikes a chord, especially in this kind of crazy time in culture that we're living right now, because we get so you know caught up in this cause and that cause and this cause. I like the words in, in God Smuggler, another book, and this guy's writing, he says, whenever, wherever, however you want me, I'll go, I'll begin this very minute. Lord, as I stand up from this place, and as I take my first step forward, will you consider this a step towards complete obedience to you? I'll call it the step of yes. Man, we can get on board with that. We can preach that. I will call it the step of yes. When God speaks, it's the step of yes. When God calls, it's the step of yes. It means that we come to the altar, and we fall in her face and we're saying God I want to be obedient and I want to take that step of yes and so as we think of obedience it's that step of yes that he's calling us to and and by the way this is for every one of us obedience is within our reach Brian obedience is within our reach Uh, my father my dad he's with Jesus now but man what what a man of God he he loved the Lord my dad only had an eighth grade education and he was an electrician, a World War II guy, and then ended up being a journeyman electrician and working for Boeing. And then uh, at some point, about maybe 42 years of age or so, 45, he buys a restaurant. Mom and dad buys a restaurant. And so I kind of grew up in that atmosphere. And then maybe uh, mid-high school, they, they buy a hamburger joint, a place like a Foster Freeze, you know, like a knockoff Dairy Queen called a Dairy Dell. And it was a tiny little hamburger place, and we specialized in hamburgers and ice cream, and and then so it was drive through and all that. And I remember because I worked my shift; that was part of being a part of the family. We worked, and so I I would go in every day after school and work my shift. And I'll never forget the days that I walk in the back door, into the kitchen, the back door from outside, and I'd walk in, and there's this little nook. I mean, just barely wide enough and long enough for a desk. And my dad has a chair there, and there's a chair beside his desk. And I would say that one out of three days, I'm not exaggerating, one out of three days, I'd walk in that back door. And my dad would have one of the employees sitting in a chair. And many times they'd be crying. And sometimes they're just sharing, and they're bearing their soul. And every time, dad would have his little Bible open, a little blue Bible, he'd have it open he had writing the notes in it in the back, the plan of salvation. He'd have his Bible open. And his business was God's business. And you know what obedience meant for my father? I mean, there was no other way to interpret it. You know what obedience, obedience meant for my father? Obedience meant the gospel of Christ. It was nothing about anything else. I mean, that's what that's what obedience was for dad. Obedience was that that he was there and he was living and breathing to do one thing. And that was to share the gospel of Christ. I I think, you know, Paul's kind of wrestling through with this in in Romans chapter 13, looking at verses one through seven. In fact, go there with me to the Romans chapter 13, looking at verses one through seven. And maybe we'll have it up here for you. But but I'm sure that Paul's wrestling through the pressures of the day and even uh, the unjustifiable injustices. 
that was, you know, issue at the time. And, and in that, it wasn't the, you know, the systems that he was trying to destruct, but deconstruct, so to speak. But it was people's hearts that Paul was bearing down on. It was people's hearts that he wanted to get at because as they were de- deconstructed and reassembled and the glory of God, then there was transformation that happens. But what about the systems? Here's what Paul says in regards to authority in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. I just have to read this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except by God's appointment and the authorities that exist have been instituted by God. So the person resists such authority, resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will incur judgment for rulers cause no fear for good conduct, but for bad. Do you desire not to fear authority? Do good and you will receive its commendation because it is God's servant for your well-being. But be afraid if you do wrong because government does not bear the sword for nothing. It is God's servant to administer punishment on the person who does wrong. Makes sense. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of the wrath of the authorities, but also because of your conscience. For this reason, you also pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants devoted to governing. Pay everyone that is owed taxes to whom taxes are owed revenue to whom revenue is owed respect to whom respect is due and honor to whom honor is due. And we read that. But yet then we remember Paul ends up in shackles. He ends up in jail. And he ends up in jail, not that he's fighting the empire. What he is doing is being obedient to the call of God upon his life. And in his obedience to the call upon his life, what happens in, of course, he has this tremendous price. And ultimately, it's a price he pays with his life. But he has this tremendous price that he pays because he's obedient to the call of God about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to recognize that. I believe with with no doubt. And in fact, I mean, here it is. We're back to obedience because this thread that is, you know, running through all of this message and the, the, the idea that I see in the whole narrative that God gives us here. The thread is a thread of obedience so that we are obedient. It's like bumpers in a bowling alley. It's an obedience that God directs us and he's moving us down the right lane of life. And it's this thread of obedience that helps us receive God's direction for life. Amen. So, so we come back to the Christmas text, right? Let's do that. We go back to the Christmas text. And then we look at Joseph because he's our person of interest. And then out of Joseph's life, we see some some interesting things that we can learn. Like, for example, here's a few that I want to share. For example, obedience precedes danger. Say that with me out loud. Obedience precedes danger. You see, the fact is, whether we want to accept it or not, there is evil in the world. There, there's evil in the world. And the evidence in the text of evil, I mean, is Herod. We talked about that. I mean, this is evidence that there is evil in the world. And unfortunately, unfortunately, evil is sometimes in camouflage. In fact, it is most likely not what it seems. I think of the phrase, you know, wolves and lambs clothing. You know, when I think about evil, but there is evil. It seems this is part of the life of Jesus, that danger is apart from the very beginning of his life. In fact, the scripture says he had no place to lay his head, right? 
Because it was life of danger. And in fact, that was seems like to be a part of the way to be a part of the way means that there's danger that we're going to face. And so there was danger for the disciples. Right. There was danger, you know, for the believers in the first century. And we know that we just have to follow some of the lies. And we read about all the dangers that they face as believers in Christ. And in fact, Paul writes about it in Second Corinthians 11. Verse 26, when he says on frequent journeys, I was in danger from rivers and danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, etc., etc. And I understand the temptation. It's, it's, it's oh, to focus on the danger, you know, because it's this danger. But yet it's in these places of obedience. Remember the thread. It's in these places, obedience, that God bumps us and moves us into risky new territory. And it's in risky new territory, then there is the plan of God that begins to unfold. You think it was not risky for Jesus to go to the cross. Risky new territory. And he bumps us in those risky places to proclaim the gospel of Christ. I, I am a... I'm praying about this relationship, and I think there's some risk involved. It's a gentleman by the name of, of Ralph, and I'm not sure if he's from Iran or Syria, um, but I know this. Um, he he and I are on two different, you know, spectrums, two different ends of the, the probably the faith spectrum or the spiritual spectrum. Um, I remember when I first met him claiming, you know, hey, I'm a pastor, and I remember just getting the eyeball, Right. I mean, it was just a feeling, this, the eyeball, you know, like, okay, you know, I'm wary of you. Well, anyways, time has passed and, and it seems like friendship has started and, and, and things are going really well. But, you know, there is some risk because what I'm afraid of is that ultimately if I really begin to take that step of saying, okay, here's, you know, what makes me tick and to begin to share Jesus a little bit, that I'll be rejected. I'll be rejected. But yet, you know, see, when we're obedient, God moves us sometimes into risky new territory. And it's pushing the envelope for us, maybe for our faith. And and yet we have to be willing to do that because obedience precedes danger. I mean, that's what we see in the life of Joseph. What is the second thing that we see in the life of Joseph? Here it is. Obedience precedes Divine intervention. If you're filling in the blanks there, obedience provides divine intervention. And, and this is what Matthew really makes kind of his thematic focus is this divine intervention. I mean, look how many times there's divine intervention in the narrative, you know, of the story that we're in right now as far as this part of the Christmas story, you know, kind of the after story, so to speak. Because it's led up to, and and Matthew, by all these divine interventions, I mean, from the baby leaping in the womb of Elizabeth, right? And, and of course, then Mary seeing the the dream or having the dream that she's to have this child. And she says, may it be to me as you say. And and then, of course, Joseph having the dream and seeing the angel, another divine intervention. And then, of course, the Magi, the Magi, they, they have a dream and they see the vision that they're to obey God. Divine intervention. And now, here in Joseph, in this... This text, Joseph gets a message from an angel and there's this divine intervention that's happening like bumpers on a bowling alley that's directing them to the will and the plan of God. What am I saying? In obedience, it is launching that little family that fleed from that area to Egypt. It is launching them on a new trajectory. Could you imagine what would have happened if Joseph had not been obedient? 
If he had not been obedient and, and, and what would take in place? Because you see, it's so important that we, we respond to God in obedience because that is oftentimes how God works and how God does ministry. In fact, in our text here, in, and it's no accident that we see, you know, uh, this text unfold as it does as they're called the Egypt. Because there's some connection there, of course, to the Moses motif. And oftentimes, you know, Israel's recognized as or compared to as the son of God. Right. And so here we have Israel being released from Egypt in captivity. And then we have, of course, Jesus, the son of God, fleeing to to Egypt. In fact, setting up for Old Testament prophecy fulfillment in Hosea chapter 11, verse one, where God says, out of Egypt, I will call my son. Out of Egypt, I'll call my son. So there's that fulfillment and all because, you know, divine intervention guiding them according to God's perfect path. Let me say it like this. Divine intervention may not always make sense. Bear with me. Listen to this. Divine intervention may not always make sense, but it does to God who is the master. It does to God who is the master. I love this little illustration I came across, and I don't know anything about Arabian horses. It's about Arabian horses. All I know is my cousin has an Arabian horse that was a colt, and he named her Heidi after my wife. So there's a horse named after Heidi, um, and it's an Arabian horse. So anyhow, this I love this little story here. Arabian horses go through rigorous training in the deserts of the Middle East. The trainers require absolute obedience from the horses. And test them to see if they are completely trained. The final test is almost beyond the endurance of any living thing. The trainers force the horses to do without water for many days. Then he turns them loose and of course they start running toward the water. But just as they get to the edge ready to plunge in and drink, the trainer blows his whistle. The horses who have been completely trained and who have learned perfect obedience stop. They turn around and come pacing back to the trainer. They stand there quivering, shaking, wanting water. But they wait in perfect obedience. When the trainer is sure that he has their obedience, he gives them a signal to go back to drink. Now, this might seem severe, but when you are on the trackless desert of Arabia and your life is entrusted to a horse. But so is the horse's life entrusted to the master. It's absolutely necessary. Because in the desert, there are many alkaline lined water holes, poisonous substances that poison the water. And if consumed by the horse, it will kill them. And in return, they're in the desert, the rider too. So even when they are dying of thirst, they must obey to save their lives. They must trust the master. (laughs) They must trust the master. That's what obedience is is about, you see, because the master knows and God is our master. And we are obedient to God because he is like the bumpers on the bowling alley. He is directing us in his perfect way, in his perfect path. You see, that's what obedience does. And, And then obedience determines our future. Listen to this. Obedience determines our future. What we see in the life of Joseph is because of his obedience. He sets in motion, of course, the very plan of God. In this trajectory in which God's plan is fulfilled. And listen, actually ultimately fulfilling what the Israelites failed to fulfill because of their disobedience. 
because they were disobedient time and time again. What happens is Jesus comes and he does what God needs to see happen because of his obedience. Here is my topical sentence right here. Being obedient to God is dangerous because it just might change your life. It just might change your life, church. And the reason why is because it may launch you on a trajectory that you'd never be on otherwise because you're obedient to God. I mean, imagine all the times you've been obedient and the blessings that's followed. And and imagine if you're disobedient to God where you'd be. If you would have been disobedient to God and maybe you have been disobedient. But this is a chance for us this morning to say, God, I want to be obedient to you. And I want to be launched on that trajectory that you're calling us to, like bumpers in a lane that's saying, okay, this is God's plan. And I want to be obedient to your plan. Amen. Can you imagine being obedient to God and the blessings that will come in your life? Things that you cannot imagine that would be poured out upon you because you're hearing God's voice. You're being obedient to that voice. And then what happens in obedience to God, it becomes dangerous because, folks, are you ready for this? Your heart just might catch fire. (laughs) It just might be ignited with passion. I mean, when was the last time your heart really caught fire? And you have this burning passion in you that you cannot help but serve Jesus. You cannot help but share Jesus. You cannot help but walk where Jesus is calling you to walk. And sometimes it's risky new territory. And maybe that's what God's calling us as a church. You know, into risky new territory. To really, you know, proclaim the gospel of Christ. Because that's what he calls us to. He calls us to proclaim the gospel of Christ finally and ultimately We see that in the life of Paul. That's what the death of Christ is about, is to provide us that gospel of everlasting life. And I don't know. Listen, church, I I don't know. Maybe you're at home or here this morning. I don't know if if that fire, it's been a while since it's burned in your heart. It's been a while since you really are reminded that, that, that you were a sinner and Jesus came and saved you. And you've kind of forgotten how what a blessing that is. And God is now calling you. He's he's kind of nudging you to just respond to him and say, Father, I want to be obedient this morning. I want to be obedient in your plan and your will for my life. And I believe that God will hear that prayer. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Close our eyes. We're going to pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the call that you've laid upon our life right now. Just simply to be obedient, to be obedient to you. To see that fine line of truth that, that's just, you know, running throughout all of your word. We see, Lord, those that you've used and you've worked and you spoke through. That, Lord, there is this obedience in their life and their example. And I pray that, Father in heaven, that right now that you would just ignite this fire in that one's heart. I pray for the one that has been passionless for some time. That you would ignite that passion in them. That their heart would catch fire this morning. That, Father, that one right now would say, Father, I I just want to feel your presence. I need your anointing. I want your fire burning in my heart right now. I pray that, Father in heaven, that you would hear this prayer as we're saying, Lord Jesus, we want to serve you. We want to be obedient to you. Thank you, Father, for that. Our heads bowed. You're there at home or you're here today in our sanctuary and you're, you're bowing your heads. You're worshiping the Lord right now. Is God speaking to you right now about being obedient to him, about being obedient to the gospel of Christ, to be reminded that you're called to that, as all believers are, called to the gospel of Christ, and you just want that fire in your heart. You want a passion in your soul right now to say, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. I want to, 
I want to experience this because of you and what you're doing. Just respond to him right now. Pray. Talk to him right now. Just take a moment and say, Lord, I want to be obedient. I want this fire in my soul. I want to be reminded how important it is that, that I share the truth of who you are. To share who Jesus Christ is. And that we can walk with you and we can know you. We can have conversations with you in prayer. And so, Father, I pray for those that are bowing their head right now, Lord, around the country, across our city, in our sanctuary, that is saying, Lord, I want to be obedient to you. I submit to you. Put this fire in my heart. Help me to be like Joseph. Help me to be willing. Help me to be willing, Lord Jesus, to to represent you, to be the church. We thank you, Father, for answered prayer. We thank you, Lord, for hearing these prayers right now. Lord, just just raising up to you. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen.